Welcome back to another episode of the Legendary Life Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Rice. This is the show that's all about taking your health, body, and life to that next level. And have I got a game-changing interview today with a total nutrition rock star. Before I get to that, I want to tell you that the Legendary Coaching Program, formerly known as CEO Strength, it's now Legendary Coaching Program, it's open. And I want to tell you, if you're a person who's been looking for a program to help you finally transform your body, your health, and like we always say, your life, because that's what this really is about. Health and fitness, losing weight, building some muscle, having more energy, that's great, but the real power is in how it transforms your entire life, how that change ripples out into every area of your life, making it better. That's what fitness has done for me personally, and that's what I want to do for you in this program. But I want to tell you, it's not right for everyone. This is for the people who they want to make a change. They're ready to take action. They're ready to do the work. They just need the game plan. They just need a coach to help them with the roadblocks that come up along the way. If you're that person, this program is a no-brainer. When we launch it again in July, I think it's going to be more expensive. Why? Because that's truly what it's worth. Because if I have too many people in the program, I can't deliver the one-on-one attention that I want to to help everybody in the group help you succeed with your goals. We still have some spots left, but people are signing up and it's only around for one more week, okay? We're closing the cart. We're closing enrollment on Sunday. After that, you have to wait until later and the price is going up again. And don't be one of those people who have emailed me saying, hey, Ted, I'm ready to join the coaching group. Hey, I'm ready to do the 30-day challenge. I don't even know when we're going to do a 30-day challenge again because this, the coaching group is taking up so much of my time. Take action, sign up. Also, I know not everybody loves to be in a group with a bunch of other people all on the same path. Some people that's perfect for, but you may be a person who just wants a solid workout to follow and without all the, the other part. I get it. I think coaching is superior because as the problems come up, I can help you solve them. And, you know, I have 18 years of experience doing this professionally, which is probably a little bit more than you, right? But some people like to follow things on their own. Totally get it. We're making the workouts available. So if you're looking for a workout that isn't 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, we have a 90-day workout, but it's an installment of four different parts. So if you're a person who'd like to know what you're going to do for an entire year or six months or nine months or three months, you have that option. And let me tell you, the beauty in this workout is in the progression. Like Cynthia, who bought the workout, said, it's a methodical progression. I can see how not only my body is changing, but I'm getting in better shape because you up the challenge every single month. Actually, it's every single week except for the deload week. So that is also available. Go to legendarylightpodcast.com and check it out. On to today's interview. So who is this rock star you're wondering? Well, his name is Dr. Brian Wansink. He is the author of the best-selling book, Mindless Eating, and he is the author of Slim by Design. Mindless Eating, by the way, is one of the most quoted books on this podcast by nutrition professionals. 
But here's the interesting thing. Brian isn't a nutritionist or a dietitian or anything like that. He's actually a psychologist, a food psychologist, and an expert in consumer behavior. He also heads up the famed Cornell University Food and Brand Lab. I mean, this guy worked at the White House as the USDA executive director in charge of the dietary guidelines for 2010 and the Food Guide Pyramid. Those are just a few of his accomplishments and what he's done professionally. But I'll tell you, he's a down-to-earth guy. I don't think I've laughed that much or that hard during an interview ever. You're going to hear how even professors of nutrition aren't able to accurately assess how much they eat. You're also going to learn why the five-mile radius around your home is a tremendous influence on how much you eat and what you eat. Lastly, you're going to learn how to restructure or redesign your home so that you can become slim by design instead of willpower. Because let's face it, willpower just doesn't work. We've got to control our environment. And that's what this is all about. That's what Brian's book, Slim by Design, is all about. Enough talk. Let's get to the interview with Dr. Brian Wonson. Dr. Brian Wansink, welcome to the Legendary Life Podcast. It's great to be with you, Ted. I'm so excited to have you on because I have in front of me the two books that you've written about such an important topic, and one of them, Mindless Eating, has come up several times when I've been interviewing nutrition experts, dietitians, nutritionists. And I've been reading your Slim by Design book, which is just amazing, but you have an interesting story. You are not a nutritionist or a dietitian. <laughs> I know who you are and you have this amazing background, but for someone listening, could you talk a little bit about what it is that you do? Well, one of the things you know, we, we, despite how smart we think we might be or friends might be, almost none of us have any idea why we ate what we ate for lunch today. And so that is a great thing to be able to figure out because if we can figure out why we do something, why we ate what we ate for breakfast or lunch or why we're going to order what we're going to order for dinner in a few hours, we can set up our environment. We can actually come up with tips. We can actually give ourselves a little bit of coaching to guide ourselves to eat a little bit better, maybe a little bit less, but definitely to lose weight and be happier. Yeah, and that's what you do at the Cornell Food and Brand Lab, which you're the director of. And you've done this amazing research looking into everything. I mean, it's just amazing the amount of data that you put together watching people at buffets, watching people, <laughs> how they structure their homes. How did you get into what you do? Because you are a food psychologist and a consumer behaviorist. Now, I know the answer to this, but mm -hmm. five years ago, I wouldn't have, or seven years ago. <laughs> why right. is someone a food psychologist, why do I need to pay attention to what you have to say? Well, it's, it's largely because we, we don't really know why we do what we do. So basically, the typical person, if you were to ask them how many decisions they make about food a day, most people would say, well, maybe 20 or 25, because I decide you know, whether I'm going to have tricks or you know Captain Crunch for breakfast and then... Next question. But in reality, we make about 200 decisions about food a day because it's not just whether we're going to have 
fish for Captain Crunch is whether we're going to pour a little bit or a lot, whether we're going to finish it, whether we're going to put a little bit, a lot of milk on it. And simply by the time we finished breakfast, we've made close to 20 to 30 decisions. And it's because all these decisions are around us that we're unaware of. It leads our environment around us to have a, an unknowing influence on us that we wouldn't expect. So, for instance, we end up being influenced by the size of the bowl. We can cause us to pour too much. The distance of the cereal box can cause us to pour one time more than we otherwise would. What the person's doing next to us, whether the TV sets on. These are all things that budge us in a direction to eat maybe a little bit more than we want to or a little bit more than we should. But the good news about that, I mean, if we want to get alarmist, we just say, oh, my God, there's, there's, there's no hope. It's We're like out of control. <laughs> <laughs> it's a zombie apocalypse of food. Run. <laughs> but a much, a much easier take on this is to say, look, if, if all those things bump you to eat a little bit more than you otherwise would, well, they could all be reversed to work for you rather than against you. If the size of a bowl causes you to pour 22% more, well, use a smaller bowl. It's this mindless way to eat less without having to worry about it. And that's what my lab for 25 years is focused on, is coming up with solutions that can make people happier, healthier, and happier. Yeah, and what I love about this is your book, Slim by Design, in it you say it's much easier to become slim by design than to use sheer willpower. Willpower seems to always fail us. We always have the best of intentions. And I think a lot of people out there, right, they wonder why they always fail. And they feel like it's they're kind of a loser. They're kind of a person who can't set a goal and follow through with it. And one of the, the messages that I get from reading your books is that our environment has a tremendous amount of influence on us. We have a tremendous lack of self-awareness simply because we're all focused on paying bills and doing work and what the kids yeah. are doing. We're not thinking, oh, <laughs> let me pour a little bit less of milk into my bowl of cereal, or let me not go back for a second helping of whatever, or let me, <laughs> you know, it's all these things that are coming together that are sabotaging people's efforts for weight loss and, and for better health. And it's kind of flies under the radar of all the arguments, the calories in calories out versus insulin hypothesis. What is your perspective on some of the other philosophies approaches sure. out there? Yeah. You know, and, I, and I love them all, but we all end up being really victims of how we're trained that, you know, you know, if you there's a saying that if the the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Well, one of the things we find is that the people who are trained, let's say in the nutrition and the dietetics world, you know, they really see things in terms of balance. They see things in terms of calories and control, and it works extremely well for them, and it works well for many of their clients. So that's the perspective they come from, and so that's why you see certain diets and different approaches work better in their eyes. If you came at it from from a medical perspective, you'd end up looking at the mechanisms of how cravings or uh, how satiation occurs. And then that ends up being your approach and your solution to things. In contrast to that, if you come at it from just a perspective of behavior, why do people do things they do? And why do they do things they really don't want to do? 
you can very easily find ways to interrupt that and redirect that. And that's why it's such a different approach, but it's not incompatible with the other two, but it's just, it would be the starting point and probably the much easier way to get to the goal that a lot of people have to eat healthier and eat less without having to know the science, without having to count calories, without having to have a nutrition chart in front of them. Yeah. And that makes so much sense, right? Even if you're a strict paleo, if you eat too much, it's going to be problematic or whatever philosophy. Did you have a follow-up? Yeah. You know, that, thanks. Thanks for asking that. Yeah. You know, I had the incredible I don't know, honor about 10 years ago now almost being appointed to be in charge of the dietary guidelines for the United States. And so, you know, move the entire family down to DC and the dietary guidelines, it's the, the used to be my pyramid, now it's my plate. And, you know, I was in a position that could have been kind of controversial, but I, I think the reason that everybody, I, I, I got along well with everybody and nobody really had any disagreements with the way that I guided things, even though things went fairly quickly, was, was that this viewpoint of, hey, let's address behavior. Because regardless of what you think from a mechanistic standpoint and you know, regardless of what you think from a nutrition knowledge standpoint if we just change behavior that can work in concert with those other two things we can also work independently of those other two things but it, it's not going to rub anybody the wrong way yeah and can you talk a little bit about what you went into in mindless eating we're going to spend most of the time talking about the solutions, the mindless eating solutions in your book, Slim by Design, which is a book everybody should read. I mean, it just, you, you got to know this stuff. I've been in the fitness industry for nearly 18 years and it was just, both your books are mind blowing, but Slim by Design has the answers, has all the solutions. And it's just, it's an unbelievable book that if you implement the strategies in there, you will end up eating less. You will become slim by design. But can you talk a little bit about our lack of awareness? Because you said a little bit earlier that the size of the bowl can cause us to eat 22% more. And in both your books, you go over numerous examples of how not just the regular people are mindlessly eating, but you even have an example where nutrition professors, so this is what their expertise is, and they're not aware of, they were counting the scoops, but you surreptitiously gave them, I guess, larger scoops. So they ended eating up way more than what they thought. Can you just talk a little bit about that lack of awareness that sure, we have? Sure, Yeah, that, that, that's great. Well, I, I can back up just a second and I'll tell you there's, there's something when I wrote Mindless Eating that we called the mindless margin. That One of the things that we found in all these studies is that if a person needs, let's say, 2,000 calories to neither lose nor gain weight, if all of a sudden if you do something that cuts out 1,000 calories, well, they know it. You know, because right. they're, they're feeling terrible. They're feeling, oh, my stomach's hurting. But if you cut out 10 calories, nobody knows it. If you cut out 100 calories, nobody knows it. And it isn't until you get up to cutting out, cutting down in your daily diet, 300 to 400 calories, that people start saying, wait a minute, I think something's different. And then, But that's great news because if you can cut out 300 calories a day from your diet, holy cow, within a, a week and a half, you've lost a pound without knowing it. Right. So 
So that's what you're looking at a lot of different ways. We've studied a lot of different ways that this can be done without people realizing it, whether it be yourself using a smaller bowl or whether it be <laughs> your relatives, your, your, your husband, your spouse, or your kids, or in this case, nutrition science professors. This is kind of funny. This is, I had a, I had a buddy. Um, this is, I was at the university of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign at the time. And I had this buddy who had just gotten promoted, just got tenure, which in, in academia is a really big, big deal. deal. Yeah. yeah. So I said, here's what we're going to do, Jim. Let's have a big ice cream social to celebrate your <laughs> tenure. Because it's, it's kind of, uh, it was kind of a you know contentious thing. And so we had all this different kind of ice cream. And when people came in, we gave them either these, these huge bowls that were maybe 24 ounces or then slightly smaller bowls that were uh, 16 ounces. So they had big or smaller bowls. And then in the ice cream, we either had these, you know, the, the, the big sort of ice cream scoops that you typically have, or we had the ones that were just tablespoon size, you know, not not the type you eat with, but the little bit next size up. And we found <laughs> that even though these people were experts, they ended up serving about 34, 35% less if they had a if they had a smaller bowl than a big bowl. And they ended up, if we gave them a smaller scoop, they ended up serving about 14% less ice cream. So even these experts, once we changed a couple things, bam, you know, they, they behave exactly like everyone else in the world. <laughs> that blew me away because you would think that they would be more into it, but that goes to show you we're all human and we're all subject to our brain's ability to kind of focus on or kind of not focus on the things that make this huge difference. Yeah. It was, that, that blew me away. And I think the thing is that goes on there is that, you know, sometimes so that when that study came out, it was kind of a, got a lot of attention. So, Immediately, a lot of other, a lot of other, you know, academics. They kind of run their labs and they try to retest it. And some of them find oh, it didn't work. It's just like, oh, you mean it didn't work when you brought in undergraduates and you stared at them while they're eating? <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not surprised it didn't work. And I think the reason these things are so powerful is that you bring somebody in an environment. And it's, it's a fun environment. There's people around. Anything that they've thought of in the past goes right out the window. Interesting. They're in different. They're in a real person mode. That's that's a great point. Real person mode, which we're in most of the time, unless someone's like you said, staring at us and making sure we we do the right thing, which I guess I kind of do in my coaching program. What we're trying to do is make people empowered and independent so they don't need to go on another diet. And let's get into some of the solutions. I'm curious, though, you wrote mindless eating. It was a huge huge hit. So many nutrition people have just been like, whoa, this is the missing thing. This behavior thing. People know what to do most of the time, but they still don't do it. Why is that? And you answered that question so eloquently in Mindless Eating. What prompted you to write Slim by Design? Because I realized that there's a, when what happened was I was in charge of the dietary guidelines and I realized that they're trying to look, how do we get kids to eat food? You know, school lunches, choose an apple instead of a cookie and things like this. And back then they said, well, what we do is we either, we educate them. We have them build gardens. We have them plant a tree. We have a course in nutrition education. Or other people would say, well, we ban it. All we have is escrow and tofu. Then they have to eat <laughs> And I realized, I said, no, there are tons of things that can be done to make that apple more convenient, attractive, and normal to take 
than the cookie. And I guarantee kids will take more of an apple than they will a cookie. And, and, and they'll walk away saying, I can make pretty decent decisions. I started something called the Smarter Lunchroom Movement, which is now in 29,000 schools. And it's scorecards that go to all these schools. They, they download it free. The USDA now uses it as part of a grading criteria that shows schools with, for no money, for no cost, what they can do to guide kids to healthier foods and away from maybe the slightly less healthy foods. And I realized that the same approach that I'm using in schools, having a 100-point checklist scorecard of what can be done to make it easier to eat healthy, can be done for homes. It can be done for us when we go to restaurants, supermarkets where we work. And that's why I wrote Slimmer Design was to, for it to be a, a blueprint for how we can change the five places that influence us the most, where we eat 82% of our food, um, without having to ever fill out a, a food diary without ever having to know how many calories are in a milk dud, we can eat better and eat healthier and like it more and I become slim by <laughs> become slim by design and that as you said, slim by willpower. Which is hard. Yeah, it just doesn't seem to work. It works for a little while. I'm curious with the five different places, how did you figure that out? And can you talk about what the places, but how did you figure out it was this this food radius, this radius that has oh, the most dramatic <clears throat> impact on people's eating behaviors? Well, you know, oftentimes, you know, you end up hearing a lot of people in public health, a lot of people interested about the future of nutrition. And they'll say, and when I was with the government, I heard this a lot, that people were to say, you know, food companies have billions and billions of dollars of money. And there's no way we can ever affect anything. You know, it's just, it's just so big. We don't, I don't even know where to start. Let's just outlaw food. Okay. I mean, it's really super alarmist. And, right. and I've seen some of your podcasts and you've done a really great job of picking people who have a solution focus, not a problem focus, but most of the world has a problem focus. And I thought, well, really, is it the fact that if, if you want to change the way you eat as a person, you've got to actually change the entire United States. And that's when we started to say, well, no, what would you need to change? Well, you need to change your home. You need to change your, your, your kid's school, maybe where you work. And then we just found you don't have to change all grocery stores because almost every person does the vast majority of their grocery shopping in one, maybe two grocery stores. So they don't have to change every grocery store in the United States, they just have to worry about the one place they go and shop. And restaurants, well, most people, they have the, they might have their favorite restaurant, I don't know, Lubeck Finn or I don't know, whatever. But that's not the one they go to <laughs> except once every six years. The ones they go to are, are the, I mean, the ones they need to be concerned about are the ones that they go to all the time. It might be the McDonald's that's two miles down the road or the TGI Fridays that's at the intersection where you where your kids and your wife and you work. But if you just address those, it's very simple. And so what we end up doing, this is cool. We, we had tons of people from around the world, but it gets kind of squirrely around the world. You know, um, but we did have tons of people around the world talk about the different places they ate, how far they were from their home and how much food that they ate there as a percentage. We found that on average in the United States anyway, the vast majority of your food, about 82% is eaten within five miles of your home. And, and most of it's even within three miles. 
Interesting. And that sounds about right for me. I mean, I live in Miami Beach. I very rarely go outside. Definitely the, the, <laughs> we go outside that five mile uh, or you know, the outside the island there. But yeah, and in the places I shop, I go to Whole Foods and Fresh Market and Publix. They're all within, but two of them are within walking distance and the others a very short car drive away. I also thought reading that, that some people are just kind of in a bad situation if they're not surrounded by good options as well. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. We've actually been trying to address some of that. And one of the things we did is we started a program that we, we targeted toward, it's it's a, very much a slim by design sort of concept. We said, what would happen in a convenience store? Let's say uh, the little bodega in the corner or the, or, the, or the grocery store that sells gas in what they often call food deserts. What could happen in those to get that could help people eat healthier without costing a lot of money? Well, we figured out a bunch of solutions that would help a person eat better. And so we contacted all of this big, con, uh, it's called the National Association of Convenience Stores and said, look, here's an eight point scorecard, a checklist that you can use to get people to eat healthier food that's going to make you money. They wouldn't do it necessarily if it's just to, to be a good old boy, but they would do it if they say, wait a minute. You think that if I sell bananas next to the cash register, I'm going to make money? Well, I'm going to do it. And so it, it's something that we've been kind of rolling out and, and pushing into convenience stores to encourage them to make healthier options available, but then pushing them in, in a way that's going to cause people to pick up those instead of the Funyuns yeah. or the pork rides. So it's a win-win. I love that. And uh <laughs> Yeah, you have so many stories like that in the book. I want to get into some of them, especially the one where you went in and convinced these big food corporations to sell smaller packages of food. That yeah, was a yeah, great yeah. one. Before we get to that, though, let's focus on, you talked about our food environment, the, the five-mile radius, and, and it's actually even three miles for most of us, and mm -hmm. that's mostly here in the U.S., the biggest ones are our homes and our work, at least for the people who listen to this podcast and the places also that they shop for food. Can we talk a, a bit about the solutions that people can listening right now can implement to start healthifying the places where they spend so much time eating or buying food? Absolutely. Well, one of the things, one of the very easy things you can do initially when it comes to home is you can actually change you can you can make your your home less loungeable okay one of the things we find is the more time that you end up spending actually in in the, the kitchen the, the more time the more you end up eating but I'll, I'll, what I'll do is I'm gonna, I'll see if I can uh, have your 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 readers do a, a quick little quiz while they're while they're there to see if I can they can see whether their home is making them you know, slim by design or healthy by design Excellent. Oh, so here's a 10-point question. 10, 10 points. Answer these 10 points and tell me what sort of score you come up with. So if you, if, you, if you answer yes to all 10 of them, you get 10. Out of thousands and thousands and thousands of people who filled this out, there, there have been very few that have gotten, you know, 10. So so don't have your heart set in something too high. But we'll see how well your, your people do compared to, oh, let's say, um, uh, Norwegian Ministry of Health. 
or we'll see how well they do next to the um, the cardiology department at Johns Hopkins, or we'll see how well they do compared to home economists here in the U.S. Okay. Okay. okay so number one. Okay. <clears throat> if salad again, just you got the ten fingers. Those people at home. So while you're working out or while you're doing whatever, just put a finger up and you can keep count that way. Okay. If salad and vegetables are served and eaten first at your home. Served in first. That means before you bring out the pasta and stuff. Okay, give yourself one finger. One finger. Okay, I'm seeing somebody on a treadmill with one finger up. Yeah. If the main <laughs> dish is served or pre-plated from the stove or counter, and what I mean by that is that that hamburger helper is not just put right in front of your plate on the table, but you're pre-serving it or you're serving it off that counter stove. Give yourself a second point. We find, by the way, our research shows with that that. You eat about 18% less of anything you serve out the counter stove versus if it's sitting in front of you. Because you have to think twice. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, we find that you have to think twice whether you get up or not. That it works even better for guys than women, too. Because we eat so fast. <laughs> and we're, you know, we're kind of pigs. Yeah. <laughs> I've been told I eat like I'm in prison, right? I just scarf it down before another. I've never been to prison and I will hopefully never be there, but before someone come and steal my cornbread or whatever. And, and it's, it's a terrible habit. It's terrible for your digestion. You end up eating more and people have made jokes about me inhaling my food. Okay. So, so there we go. What's, What's I like, number three? I like, I like the idea of a fork in one hand, you have a shank in the other. Yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's what um, someone told me. It was just like I'm not. I don't know if that's a compliment. It doesn't really sound. That's like funny. That. That's good. Yeah. Okay, so again, television was reverse. One point of the main dish is served pre-plated from the stove counter. Number three, if your dish dinner plates are nine to ten inches wide, give yourself a third dinner plate, Ooh. a third point. But before you do that. If it's larger than 10 inches, you'll refine our research. The Cornell Food and Brand Lab has shown that you serve about 22% more. But if it's less than nine inches, okay, and people say, well, that's fine. I'm going to serve off a saucer. I'm going to serve off a, a Barbie plate. It's like, no, no, no. The problem is if it drops below nine inches, you know you're tricking yourself. So you tend to go back multiple, multiple, multiple times. It goes back up. So uh, number four, if you're sitting – and a table with a TV turned off, give yourself an extra a fourth point. Number five, if there are two or fewer cans of soft drinks in your fridge, give yourself a fifth point. And the reason that works is that people who drink a lot of soft drinks are much less likely to want to drink warm stuff. So it could be soft drinks, it could be beer, it could be any anything that you know you want to drink less of. Six, give yourself a sixth point if your kitchen counters are organized and not messy. And we've done some cool research, just came out last year, that showed that people eat about 44% more of anything that uh, – of snacks. Kitchen's really disorganized. It's, it's cool. We did the study where you brought people in. In one case, snacks are sitting up. The rest of the kitchen's perfectly clean. The other case, people come came in, snacks, exact same snacks are sitting up. But the rest of the place looks like uh, – it looks like Iwo Jima. I mean, there's – there's newspapers <laughs> out. There's mail scattered across the, the 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 table. There's dirty dishes. People snacked 44. percent It's almost like you say, "This place is out of control. Why do I need to be in control?" Okay, so that's six. Number seven: if pre-cut fruit or veggies in your middle shelf, give yourself a seventh point. But most of us don't have that, but you'll eat about 33 percent more, 32 percent more. Your kids will eat about 73 percent more. 
fruit. Um, number eight, if there's at least six servings of lean protein in your fridge, it could be eggs, it could be yogurt, it could be string cheese, it could be tofu. It could be anything that says, I don't know, I just order pizza tonight. It could be anything that keeps you from doing that. Give yourself an eighth point. If nine all snack foods are in one inconvenient cupboard, way down low, way up high, or in the basement, wherever, give yourself a ninth point. And 10, if the only food on your counter is a fruit bowl, give yourself a tenth point. Okay. Wow. You, yeah, except for fruit bowls on your counter, our research shows you'll weight 13 pounds less than your neighbor who doesn't have one. Okay, well, you know, typically, I, I, we'll see your, what the studio audience says. We've got people that are driving with only two fingers up, and we've got other people in their Nordic track trying to hold on to the ropes with only three fingers up. But uh, <laughs> on average, the typical person the typical person from the cardiology department, Johns Hopkins, gets between a three and a four. That's a, a typical Norwegian. Well, I have, I have five. I, so, that's good. And I do uh, this for a living, so I've got some room to improve. Yeah, yeah. When the typical Norwegian gets between four and five because food's so expensive there, I think that's why. <laughs> Interesting. And then the typical uh, person from the, the, the home economist gets between a five and a six. It's really rare when somebody comes up to me and says, <laughs> you know, he has a nine or 10. So this is funny. This is uh, the first time that I kind of did this. It was at a, uh, so one of my favorite groups is called the tops group. It, you might've heard it's called take off pounds sensibly. It's like a, it's a counterpart to weight watchers. It's non-prov. It's great. Interesting. Tops Inc. And I, I was the, keynote speaker at one of their, their annual conference and I, and I did this and I said there's a, a big group of like three or four thousand people and I said by any chance did anybody get tanned and I asked it knowing that nobody would and this one starts raising her hand <laughs> and I was kind of like I was kind of shocked I said I was, I'm, I'm surprised I said I've never heard of anybody who did this she just that's because I changed my entire life I said Congratulations! What did you do? And she says, well, "I divorced my husband." Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. So that was the impetus that had her really take things. I don't know about Apparently, the nine-inch yeah. plates, though. That's a one that you really got to go out of your. I mean, like I would never even think about that unless I heard it from you or read it in your book. But it's cool that she figured that out on her own. I guess. Yeah, well, and the thing is, I, I think some people start fudging a little bit with some of these and they kind of reinterpret, you know, you kind of hear, you kind of go, yeah, 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 I, I do that. Like people would say, yeah, I, I serve salad vegetables first along with everything else. It's like, no, 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 first before everything else. Right. And I think people, they kind of hear some things differently too. But. I did not give myself a point for that one because I serve the vegetables at the same time or I eat a salad. I, I typically don't. But I'll usually eat, if I do have a salad out at a restaurant, I will eat the salad before. But, you know, these yeah, are all fascinating good. things. Yeah. And if you're listening right now, how did you score? I would love to hear about it. Why don't you uh, come post on Facebook or email me? Let me know what you did. But I hope everyone listening is starting to get the picture that we're not as in control as we'd like to believe. And these outside forces are literally making us unhealthy and fat 
by design. And what Brian's offering you is the, the opposite. Taking what we know about how to design our homes, our kitchens, our workplace and more to get rid of the temptation or not even temptation. I think I think what you said here, the mindless eating that we just don't know we're doing, it's not even about temptation sometimes, right, Brian? It's just about, oh, I just ate more because I wasn't even paying attention. It's exactly right. It's why for some people, keeping a food diary does work for them because it makes them more mindful of it because they say, now what am I, well, I was going to eat food, so I was going to write it down. And it does seem to work for people, but it also backfires for other people because it's either not worth the time or it makes them obsessively think about food the whole day. Um, now, what I gave you here was just 10 points. I mean, like for the for the kitchen itself, there's a 100-point scorecard for your entire kitchen. These were just 10 of the 100 kind of as a – so you can really quickly assess – so your, your friend, uh, listeners could really quickly assess things. But there's a ton more things, and that's just for your house. There's the same thing for restaurants, workplaces, et cetera. Yeah. And it's all in the book, Slim by Design. Make sure you get this book. It's just, if you bought the paleo diet and the the Atkins diet and the South Beach diet, this is a thing that can prevent you from ever having to go on a diet again. Or even if you do, these are things, like you said, Brian, earlier, they're not incompatible. This is compatible because it's addressing your behavior. It's not addressing the quality of your food, which I'd actually like to hear your your opinion on. So, Brian, let's talk about that study that you did with the smaller packages, because I believe that's a great lesson for everybody. Not only... Is it good for the people who buy smaller packages, but it's also good for businesses? And like you said, I mean, right or wrong, good or bad, whatever, it's just the state of things. We want win-win for everybody. Can you talk a little bit about why smaller packages, for the person who's going to Costco to save all that money or buying in bulk from some other place, why they may want to change a bit of what they're buying in bulk? and why the smaller packages are so important? One of the things we had done a number of years ago is we had we were looking at how the size of packages end up, and this is almost 20 years ago, and this, this actually, the punchline is this is what led to the 100-calorie pack. This is back in the early 90s. We were looking at how the size of packages influenced how much people ate on a specific occasion. And one of the things we found is that the size of a package got bigger and bigger and bigger, a person would eat more and more and more, even on one occasion. So if you were eating, let's say, out of a large box, a uh, medium-sized box of Lucky Charms, you'd pour a bowl, you might pour you know, 200 calories worth. If that were a super-sized box, start pouring about 20, about 20 to 25% more. And one of the things that we, we did didn't work in price clubs and, and, and uh, Sam's Clubs and Costco's, we found that just the opposite happens also when you have smaller packs when you get back down to about 100 calories, people ended up eating less. About 70% of the population ate less. The rest, most of them ate about the same. Because you finish one or two of those, and you kind of go, do I want a third one? (laughs) Most of the time, you say no. And and so it's one of the things that led to the 100-calorie pack we presented. I I got in my Jeep Cherokee and drove up to Nabisco and M&M Mars and Kellogg's and presented it and eventually it turned into a hundred calorie pack. And, and after that came out and then after Slim by Design and Mindless Eating came out, people would say, well, then you must really, really hate 
these big box stores, the, the Sam's Clubs, the Costco, the Price Club, BJ's. I'm like, God, are you, are you kidding? I love these things. I've belonged to them for the last 30 years. I joined the Price Club. I've never been a year without a membership. But the thing is, you can save a lot of money. If you've got a big family, you can save a lot of money because food's a lot cheaper per ounce. But you can also waste a lot of food and waste a lot of calories if you end up eating it all in the wrong way. And one way, one real easy way to have that savings and then also save the calories also is if you've got big, if you buy a big five pound barrel of pretzels or whatever, just break it down into smaller little baggies. Because all of a sudden if the baggie's got 100 or 150 calories of, of pretzels in, you'll know, well, that's a serving size. You, you might open the second one you're less likely to than if you can just go in and grab another pretzel, 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 pretzel. If instead it's already in smaller packs, like it might be if you have, let's say you buy a 36 pack of Doritos or something like that. What you might find works a little bit better is to take them and just put somewhere out of the way, like um, in that cupboard for snacks or if you have a basement, or if you have something out of the room, you can put it there. I mean, for instance, we put all of our snacks in the laundry room. We keep almost all of our snacks in the laundry room. I and, was curious about what you did. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we also have a basement because, I mean, we've always lived in kind of areas of the country that have, that have basements for the most part. But I know a lot of the country doesn't. So a laundry room ends up being a really nice place to do that because <laughs> somehow when you go in and you're smelling soap and you're smelling bleach <laughs> those, those cheetos aren't sounding quite as appetizing as they were if you're just kind of roaming through the kitchen <laughs> yeah I, I was curious about that i live in miami we definitely yeah. don't have nope. basements yeah yeah we'd be underwater it would be uh flooded <laughs> if that were the case so it doesn't work out very well the, uh, the limestone, very hard to, to dig through, apparently. <laughs> yeah, so I was curious. So you follow these principles. Obviously, you, you came up with them. What about food quality? You mentioned calories a lot. So many yeah. debates happen in the calories in, calories out, or a lot of people claim it's insulin that's causing us to store fat. And there's other ones as well. What is your perspective on that? Well, one thing we need to be careful about, just just as consumers, is that we don't use some of the some of the debates that are going on as an excuse to not actually start something and do something that's going to work for us today. You know, I've I've heard had people say, you know, but what about my genetics? It's like, you know, we were all dealt with a set of cards. You can't change the cards. But within that, within what you're dealt, you can do a lot more stuff than you you might think if you then if you instead just kind of say, well, I got a bad set of cards, so I'm going to throw in the towel and, and wear sweats for the rest of my life. Wear sweats for the wrong reason, incidentally. But then I think the second thing about a lot of those debates is that there's still a ton of stuff you can do right now, even though the the debate isn't that settled. Because I, whether it be one thing or the other thing, I, I don't know if it's going to make more than a two or three percent difference one way or the other in weight. But there's a ton of stuff that you can do today when you get home. They're going to change things indisputably in the right direction, and that's what we want to do. I love that answer. Absolutely, so many people get 
paralysis by analysis, or like you said, they throw in the towel because they, they're like, oh, no, it sounds hopeless, right? Throw in the towel. Let, let me just give up on this healthy eating thing. And and I don't think anybody listening to a podcast called Legendary Life is in that category, but we're all struggling to figure this out. Even me, after being in the industry, the health and fitness industry for nearly 18 years, you know, it can be, it can be a, a little overwhelming with all this new information, but that was such a perfect answer. Uh, Dr. Brian Wansink, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And I know you want people to go to brianwansink.com. That's B R I A N. W-A-N-S-I-N-K.com. And you can find Brian's book on there. You can find more about mindless eating and slim by design and ways to design your environment so you don't have to rely on willpower so much. You can just, like the book says, be slim by design. Was there anywhere else that you wanted people to go to reach out to you, Brian? I mean, you know, they can find me at, at Brian Wansink on Twitter, or they can go to, um, for the books, they can go to amazon.com uh, or their bookstore. I think um, both of them are in a whole bunch of different languages if you want to read it in a different language for some reason, in an audio form. And I, I look forward to uh, hearing great success stories from you in the future. But th- Ted, thanks, thanks so much for what you do. It's an amazing group of people you get on your podcast. And I love how thoughtful your, your questions have been in the past and how good they were today. So thank you for what you do for so many people. Thank you, Brian. I'm trying to cut through the misinformation and to get focus on the solutions. Like you said earlier that you gave me that compliment and that's what I try to do. It's all, it comes down to what we do, comes down to taking action and you're helping us do that by giving us these, these simple but elegant solutions to become slim by design. So thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, and most importantly, this amazing knowledge is truly challenging all the other debates out there. It really comes down to our behaviors at the end of the day. So thank you for that, Brian. Good. Well, have a great new year. I think 2017 is going to be magical. I agree. Thanks again and hope to get you on the podcast again soon. takeaways. And I want to ask you, did you learn something from that interview? Did you perhaps get a different perspective to look at your nutrition and more specifically your eating habits with? I know I did. And that's what his books have done for me. So make sure you check out Mindless Eating, which is a deep dive into the research that has come out of Brian's lab. Also, if you want to know just what to do, definitely check out Slim by Design both amazing books and things that I'm using with my clients to help them mindlessly change their habits. Because once that happens, maintaining a healthy weight, being healthy, whatever it is that you're after is going to be a lot easier and require a lot less work from you. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to work that hard, right? I would just want to set myself up for success. And that's what his books are all about. Before I end, I want to again reiterate that The Legendary Coaching Program is open, so if you've been waiting to join, now's the time. Get in at this good price. If you wait until July when we have more testimonials and, you know, better marketing and all that stuff, 
It's going to be more expensive. Get in now. There are some spots left. We'd love you to be one of the people in those spots to take advantage of this amazing opportunity. LegendaryLifePodcast.com slash coaching is where you go. That's all I've got. Have an amazing rest of your week and let's make 2017 the best year ever for you.